Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, last week we began a series of messages that we're calling Together. And uh, we started last week with Back to Church Sunday. And we began to discover together that we can experience peace. And we talked about the peace of God. We talked about peace with each other because of the blood of Christ and how he brings us together. And uh, we're going to continue our series today uh, in talking about together we experience love. Now let me remind you that word together, I told you last week, was like Legos. You remember those toys, Legos? They have uh, little square pieces and they have little raised bumps on them and by themselves they're worthless. By themselves, you really can't build a thing. But when you have a bunch of Legos, and I don't know about how it is when some of you got toddlers at your house. At our house, we got the big ones. You know, they're big and plastic and they're huge. And, and so those pieces fit together. And you can make buildings. And, you know, I saw many years ago, I went to a house to visit. And uh, this, this guy made... All the Star Wars ships were in Legos, but they weren't little ones, Steve. They were huge. I mean, they, they took a whole dining room table. And uh, that was just incredible to see that somebody would have the patience to take those little blocks and make something so big. But that's the idea we're talking about. We're talking about being together. What is it like as a church to be together? Well, it's a lot like Lego blocks. God has brought us all here. We're all from different backgrounds and cultures and some of us from different necks of the woods, right? And yet God has made out of us one. He's brought us together to make us a family. Uh, And a family experiences peace. Peace with God, peace with each other. But the other thing is a family experiences love, amen? Amen. You know, as we begin this morning, I wonder if we could ask ourselves this question. When people think of First Baptist Church of Level Plains in our community, do they think of a church of love? Do they think of us as being a loving church? I'm going to come back to that at the end. But I just wonder, in our hearts and our minds today, could we answer that with saying, well, of course they do. Well, it all depends on what is a loving church. Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is a loving church? Is a a loving church, a church is void of any kind of conflict? Well, I'd have to say, well, certainly not. I'm in a loving relationship with my wife, and I'm just here to testify that a lot of times I cause conflict. Amen? You notice how I said that, right? She's here, so I had to say it rightly. But there's times there's going to be conflict in relationships with your spouse. Listen, I have uh, raised six kids now raising two more, can I just tell you that I love them, but there's sometimes conflict in raising kids. Amen? Yeah, all you parents say amen. I know. I know. It's that way. Those of you yet to have kids, oh, it's coming. Amen. It's coming. 
All you guys with babies, oh, it's coming. Hallelujah. Amen. But as we think about, I know I shouldn't be so happy, but you know, I want my kids paid back for what they gave me. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Matt's with me. Man. And he'll go anywhere with me in that orange Ford Fiesta, won't you, brother? Amen. Amen. Well, what does a loving church look like? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. So open up the word to Ephesians chapter 5. You're going to jump right into the text. And I want you to see, you're going to look at that text and go, wow, that's kind of a unique text to pull out about a loving church. Well, this is what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about you and I in the context of the church and how we ought to be. He says, therefore, verse 1, be imitators of God as dear children. We're children of God. Amen. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. He said, but fornication and all uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. He said, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator or unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the things he just mentioned, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You know, as we think about being a loving church, Paul clearly defines for us what a loving church is and what a loving church is not in those seven verses. As we think about how Paul begins, notice he uses the word therefore. The word therefore is therefore for a reason because it points us back to what he just said in the ending of chapter four, and that is that you and I ought to be spirit-filled people. And as a result of being spirit-filled Christians, there are behaviors and things that we do not partake in. And then he sums it up in verse 32 by telling us how we as a loving church ought to act. And he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I kind of hate that there's paragraph breaks and I hate that there's chapter division because it would normally read this way. It would read, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. There's no division there. In the letter that Paul wrote, it's just one continuous letter. And it, it just makes sense to me that you would say, even as God in Christ forgave you, therefore be imitators. So the first thing is we think about love and experiencing love. First of all, we have to understand that we can together experience God's love. And I want you to think about God's love this morning. How does God express his love? Well, that's very fundamental to me. Because it takes me all the way back to Mrs. Allen's house in the basement of her house in New Jersey, just two houses up on the right from my house where I grew up, where an African-American lady who loved kids and who loved the Lord Jesus started a Sunday school in the basement of her house and invited neighborhood kids to come and to hear the gospel. And she invited us in. And so I would remember in that house hearing for the first time those beautiful words of John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's so fundamental. We make God's love so complicated. Can I just tell you this morning, go back to the fundamental of John three sixteen. For God so loved, God's love's intense. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. God so loved. Why is God's love so intense? Well, John tells us. In 1 John, he reminds us that his love's so intense because God is love. That is, he, he cannot separate love from himself because that's in his essence who he is. That's not all he is, but that's part of his essence. He, he is love in himself, and God expresses that love. And the Bible says in that John 3.16 that God's love was so love. That is, it's intense. Listen, when God loves you, he goes all the way. Amen? God doesn't hold back. God didn't hold back when he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world. For God so loved the world. Listen, it's universal. It's, it's for everybody. It's not just about God just loving me and not you. Or loving us at First Baptist and not loving our community. Let me tell you something. God's love is universal. Amen? Even if we just take out salvation and say God's love is universal in that he makes it to reign on the just and the unjust alike. Even the wicked man has the reign. Amen? Even the wicked man gets to breathe the air that God gives. God in his grace just loves. But let me tell you, in that verse, what he's saying is that the death of his son that brings about the salvation of men's souls is universal. It's available, not just for us here in Alabama, but thank God it was available in New Jersey. Amen? So many years ago where God saved me. Thank God that it's available for those who are in Jamaica where she just got back, where Nancy just got back. From a mission trip. Thank God the gospel reaches there. Amen. Thank God it reaches around the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. God's love is giving, isn't it? God loved to give the gift of his son. You know, it ached his heart. No doubt to give his son for us. To grieve his heart because of the Sin that Jesus would bear in his own flesh and his own body on the cross of Calvary. Your sin, my sin. That is not just the deeds that we've done, but the, the, the very nature in which we were born was sin. Therefore, we're sinful beings. And Jesus would bear all of that in his own flesh on the cross and be separated from God. But that's why God gave him as a gift to us. For God so loved the world that he gave he gave what? His only begotten son. It was sacrificial. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to sacrifice any of my kids for anybody. Amen? As a matter of fact, if I'm in my office and I'm talking to you and my phone rings, and if it's one of my kids, I'll tell you to hold on, and I'm going to answer my phone. Because my kids are that important to me. If my wife Marina calls, I'm going to tell you to hold on. She's that important. You can wait. Amen? She's numero uno. All right? Outside of Jesus, obviously. But human relationships, she's number one. My kids fall right behind her. I won't tell you what order they come, because Hannah's here today. <laughs> but anyway, she knows she's probably number two. But uh, don't tell your brothers I said that, okay? But, uh, you know, the reality is God's sacrificial love. He gave his one and only son. As a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. 
And you know what Paul says about that? Look back in Ephesians 5, 2. I'm going to come back to the whole text in a minute. But I want you to see how Paul describes it. He says, walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself, here it is, ready for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. When God in the Old Testament had sacrifices given to him, the Bible often describes it as a sweet-smelling aroma aroma that would arise into the nostrils of God in heaven. The idea is that it was very pleasant to God. But not only was it pleasant to God, God received it. God accepted the offering. And here, what we have is God giving the sacrifice of himself for himself on our behalf. Think about that. That's, that's, that's mind-blowing. That is that you and I were the ones that deserve to hang on a cross. We're the ones that deserve hell and to be separated from God. And yet God, who was offended by our sin, would take his only son and nail him to a cross to appease himself. Wow. That's incredible. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why? That whosoever. Listen, God's love is demanding. You know, we, we think about God's love being unconditional, but it is demanding. Why is it demanding? Well, what does he say in John three sixteen? That whoever believes, there's a condition there. If we didn't believe that it's by faith, it's whoever believes, then we would just believe everybody's saved. We say, well, there's universalism. That's what some people like to believe, right? Well, it doesn't matter how you get to God, whatever you call yours. I, you may say Jesus, I may say Buddha, you may say this, I may say that. The reality is there is only one way to God, and it's whosoever believes in him. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what? That he died for them on the cross of Calvary, that he was the sacrifice to appease God, to, to wash away my sin, that his blood does cleanse me. That is not by works. It's not by religion. It's not by being a Baptist. It's not by being baptized. That is strictly by the sacrifice of his son that he gave to us on the cross of Calvary. And so he reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Don't you love that? Should not Can I just tell you something? You may not believe it in this room today. Let me tell you something. You're not going to perish if you're in Jesus. Amen? I don't have to worry about hell. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Why? It's been abolished at the cross for me. Amen? I'm going to live forever. I love what Jesus told Martha. Martha comes all whiny and complaining about Lazarus being dead. And he says to her, listen, if anyone who believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. And anybody who's living and believes in me shall never die. I'm not going to perish. Amen? Isn't that good news? And so this morning as we gather together as a church, we begin to see that the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 5, verse 1. And he says, therefore, be imitators of God. If I'm going to imitate God, then listen, if I'm going to love like God loves, then I have to go back to John three sixteen and go, how did God love Well, God was intense, wasn't he, in his love. I need to love intensely. You know, that means it needs to be a priority in my life. After all, Jesus, did he not, our our, our faith that we we proclaim here, our statement we proclaim here at First Baptist Love Plains is what? Love God, love people. 
That's where it all begins. Why? Because it all boiled down to that in Matthew 22, 37 and following when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we begin to experience the love of God together. And thank God that we can. Thank God that he has reached us when we were not looking for him. When we were enemies of God, God found us. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. And you just read through the book of Romans and you'll find that that's the case. That those of us, he goes on and says, that God demonstrated his own love toward toward us, that while we were yet sinners, his son died. God didn't wait for you to get right. God didn't wait for you to clean your act up. God found you when you were at your worst. I know he did me. And thank God that he did. Amen. So we experience God's love. But here's the point of the sermon, though. We're talking about togetherness, right? We're talking about being together. We're talking about this idea that we as a church ought to be a loving church. So what is this loving church? Well, it's first of all to imitate God. Because notice he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Listen, we are to express this mutual love for each other. Why? Because we have the DNA of God in our veins. As dear children. bless his heart, but our oldest boy, Chris, even though he's a short version, he looks just like me. When I was, you could put our pictures side by side and people couldn't tell who he was. And now he's big and fat like me. I love it. I love it. He said, I'll never be that. Hallelujah, he's there. Amen. Don't ever say never. It's going to get you. Listen, the reason why he looks like me is because he's got my DNA. Listen, the church should look like the Father because we have his DNA. Isn't that what Paul's saying there? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, imitate the Father. Why? Because we're his children. We ought to act like him because he's our Father. And so when I look at God's love toward me through Christ, certainly I ought to take that now and project that on other people, especially in the household of God. Especially in the church. Loving one another. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God as the church. So the first thing we need to understand is that we experience this mutual love together because we are God's children. Therefore, because we have his DNA, we express that one to another. But that's not all he says. Look at verse 2. Because in verse 2, what he reminds us of is that we ought to love like Jesus loved. So not only do we see the Father loving through the Son, but then we have the Son who, as we trace his life through the Gospels, we see the love of Christ going out. He says in verse 2, and walk in love. That is, that word walk means to live. It means to walk it out. It means to live in love. In other words, we ought not say to people, hey, I go to church at First Baptist Church, Love Plains. You need to come to our church. We're a loving church. We ought not just say that. We ought to walk it out. Amen? I mean, people ought to know when I say that, that's a reality. You don't just say something, you know. I can say I'm this or that, but am I, am I walking it out? Am I living that truth? And so we ought to be living that truth out. And so he says we ought to walk out in love just as, notice he said, just as Jesus has loved us. So we ought to love each other. Well, listen to what Jesus said about that. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. See, Paul is not giving us something new. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also love 
one another, because by this all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. See, Paul is just expressing here in verse 2 what Jesus already expressed himself as he's walking among the people, as he's teaching and preaching. He reminds the disciples, your responsibility is to love one another as I am loving you. Why? Because then that's a witness to the world. Nobody's going to go to a church that's in conflict. Can I tell you another truth? Nobody stays in a church that's in conflict either. Amen? I don't want to be in a church like that. I want to go to a church that's loving. I want to go to a church where I know the people love me and I can love them. And listen, even if we have a disagreement, it's okay. Because we're going to handle that in love. We're going to express love. We're going to express kindness and love towards one another. Even when we disagree. Why? Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God. The second is to love others. Jesus said a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Isn't that what Jesus is uh, telling, or excuse me, isn't that what Paul is telling us that Jesus is reminded of? And listen, John picks that up. The, uh, the apostle John says in 1 John 7, listen to this, beloved, let us not love one another, or let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. If I'm not loving, maybe it's because God's not in me. Maybe it's because I'm not his child. Amen. Think about that. Think about that. That's scary. When I'm acting as an unloving person, that's not God. That's the opposite. That's the opposite. You know, Paul tells us here, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. There's the sacrificial love, right? See, what love does is love looks for the better for other people. Love is not about me. Love is about you. And in a church that is loving, we don't look out for our own interests. We look out for the interests of others. We care about others. We're concerned for others. And we're going to flesh that out in a minute, what that looks like. So Paul reminds us then that as Christ has loved us and given himself sacrificially, listen, for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, that's how we love. And again, if you want to have some tangible ways, go back to verse 32 of chapter 4. He says you do that by being kind to one another. You do that by being tender-hearted toward one another. You do that by being forgiving of one another. He said, and you do that just as God in Christ did that for you. But then he tells us, and this is where verses 3 and following come in, he tells us how not to love. If you look at verses 3 through 7, what you'll find here is a list of vices. In the smack in the middle of that is about thanksgiving. But you find a list of vices that oftentimes we never connect with verse 2, walking in love. But what Paul is doing for us, he's helping us to understand what does it look like when you're not walking in love. So when you're not loving others, what does it look like? Well, let me show you what it looks like. You're a fornicator. Fornicators take advantage sexually of other people. You're unclean. That is your covetous. You want what other people have, right? When you're not walking in love, listen to what he says. He says, not even to let that be named among us as fitting for the saints. He said, but neither filthiness, he says, nor foolish talk. When I'm not walking in love, I talk foolishly. I say things I ought not say. I talk about people when I shouldn't talk about people. That's foolish. He goes on, not only that, but coarse jesting. I don't sit around the water fountain at work and tell dirty jokes. I don't use a bunch of filthy language towards people. Why? That's coarse jesting. That's not right talk. Amen? 
That's not how you approach people. You go, to, you go somewhere and people are, you know, uh, I don't know what it is. Our family, the past few times we've eaten out, we've ordered food to bring it home, and we get home, we don't have half of what we asked for. I don't know why that happens. It just happens, right? I can't go back to those restaurants and start yelling and screaming and acting like an idiot towards those people in coarse jesting because that's not the way to do it. Amen? Are you with me? That's not loving. And especially, we should not do it in the church. We should not be doing that. He said, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. If we're going to say anything, let's do things in thanksgiving. Let's do things with a thankful heart. He says in verse 5, for this you know. He just boils it down. He says, you know what? This you know, that no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And here's why we don't act that way. Because as God's people, that's not the DNA of God coming out. That's the DNA of the devil. And so for you and I to love each other means that we don't take advantage of each other. We don't coarse jest about each other. We don't foolish talk about each other. Why? Because that's the DNA of the devil. That's not the DNA of God. And so the church should not love in that manner. Why? Because first of all, these are taking advantage of people. Second of all, verse 5, he says, you know that those persons, they are not in the kingdom of God. They are not part of God's family. And not only that, lastly, he says to us, notice verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, don't anybody tell you, try to tell you otherwise. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. So God is going to judge this stuff. It should not be in the church. Yet sometimes we tolerate it. And it should not be here. Therefore, he says, do not be partake. Verses 3 through 6 should not even be in the church. Period. End of story. And that's how he caps it off. Verse 7. Don't be a partaker with them. So the question becomes as we think about love and we think about loving together and experiencing love together, how can we do that on a practical level? Well, we can apply verse 32 of chapter four, but let me give you three words that I think will help us to apply this truth together. The first word is the word connect. You know, I like to use that word. I've been using that word a lot, but uh, the word connection is sort of my thematic word that I like to use about us being together. Whether we're together in large group worship like we are this morning or whether we're together in small group, whether it be a Sunday school class or whether it be a small group ministry throughout the week, we ought to be together. And, and my philosophy too is that Christians ought to make even more time to be together as much as we can. And I appreciate, you know, uh, the ladies trying to do that through different things they're doing, like the breakfast that they're going to have and the men's ministry. We went to a conference together and some of the men, listen, I'm going to encourage you men, I don't know if we meet tomorrow, but there's some guys we're meeting at six o'clock at Bojangles in Delville just to hang out. No formal Bible study, but just a way to connect as men who love the Lord Jesus and encourage one another. And so these are the things we ought to be doing. We ought to have connection. And, and here's the thing about connection that always bothers me about people. Because some people will say, well, I just don't get anything out of that church. You know why? Can I tell you why you don't get it? Because they don't take the first step to be connected. Amen? You do have to take a step to be connected. Now, I realize some are extrovert and some are introverts. I realize all that stuff plays into it. But you need to take that step. To be connected. It takes, you have to, when Marie and I first went to churches when we were in the military and we were lay people, we didn't wait for people to call us. We connected with people. You know, and I know I'm an outgoing person and all of that, but we tried to connect with you because we realized that we needed relationships. We needed to be involved in relationships. And that's what the word connect means. It means relationship. 
Are you in relationship with the people that you're going to church with? Now, I know it's impossible. As many people we got go to the church here, it's impossible to be in relationship with everybody. That's okay. I realize that. You, it's impossible to do that. But are you in relationship with anybody? Are you connected with anybody? Are you connected to a Sunday school class or a small group? You know, get connected. The second word I want to give you is this word, comfort. As a church, our responsibility in loving one another is to bring comfort to one another. Listen, life is hard. Can I just get an amen? Life is hard. Life is not easy. Listen, we, <clears throat> we come to church and we put on a false face. How you doing? Oh, brother, I'm good. God is good. Love Jesus. It's all great and grand. And I got a preacher friend. That's, every time you ask him, he, he got fired from his church. Oh, God's good. It's great. I'm thinking, man, if I got fired from my church, I'd be in the pits. Amen. I mean, I'd be a little down. I'd be kicking some people. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hang around Kevin too long. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know, we put on a false face. Why? Because we don't like people to know that we have pain. We don't like people to know that we experience difficulties in our families. You know, that we got ailments and physical things that attack us. And so what we need to understand as a church family, if we love one another, listen, it goes beyond that, right? It's, I'm here because of those things. Amen? I'm here to help you. I'm here to comfort you. Listen, one of the great things about Sunday is that we come together on Sunday. It hopefully charges you up. Hopefully it brings you encouragement. Hopefully it reminds you you're not in this alone. Amen? God doesn't expect you to live out there on your own. God expects you to be connected with God's people in the church in order that when the time comes where you need comfort, you can find comfort. And if the church is not comforting you, sometimes the church doesn't know you need comfort. Amen? Because we can't read minds. I wish I could. That'd be, man, if I could read minds, it'd be wonderful. Be wonderful. But I can't read minds. And so we're here together to comfort one another. And the third word I want to give you is the word cooperation. The word cooperation is going to sort of end where we ended last week in our sermon. And that is working together for a common purpose or goal. The reality is we cannot reach the community of level planes by ourselves. In other words, I can't as a preacher reach every household in level planes. I cannot do that. It would take me years to visit every single household and be in every household. It, it, it would it'd be impossible for us to do that. And with the influx of change that comes and, and goes in level planes, it's hard. But you know what? It's the same thing for you. It'd be too hard for you to do that. But you know what? Together, cooperating together guess what we can do? We can conquer that. Together, we can reach our community. Amen? Together, we can take this world and turn it upside down like the disciples did in the book of Acts for the gospel's sake. And so let me just, as we wrap up the sermon, just tell you about something we're going to do this fall that I hope you'll get on board with. One of the things that I think we lack as a church in reaching our community is two things. One, prayer. You know, you can always pray more, right? But, now, but listen, we have our prayer meeting, and, and I, I appreciate the intercession that we do on Wednesday night. We have seen some wonderful miracles come out of that prayer ministry. Uh, we've seen people healed. We've seen families restored. We've seen a lot of great stuff. And, and praise God, we're going to continue to do that because that's what we ought to do. <clears throat> but we need to be praying for our neighbors. How many of y'all got neighbors? Y'all got a neighbor? It may not be right next door, but man, it may be right close to you. You got neighbors, amen. You know, Roger, you got a bad neighbor across the street. I'm sorry, you got to deal with that, but you know. But no, I was talking about your brother. No, okay. 
But <clears throat> I try to just be humorous to break up the tension in the room. But because we all need to pray and we all feel tension when that's said. Do you, do you feel that? Do you feel the tension? When I said we all need to pray more, do you all feel that tension? We do. We feel tension about that. You know, because prayer is one of the things that most of us struggle with in our lives. And, and yet what we're going to do in the fall, we're going to ask you to pray. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And then the second element of that is we're not very good at going. Amen. We're good at saying we need to go. We're good at quoting the Great Commission in Acts 1.8. But we're not good about putting feet to that. So what I have done is I have combined two things together. And so in the fall, we're going to start what I'm calling pray and go. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to saturate our community with prayer by going. In other words, we're going to pray for every neighbor, Nana, at their house. We're not, going to, we're not going to pray for them here. We're going to pray there. Now, don't get worried. I'm not going to ask you to talk to a single person. What I'm going to ask you to do is stand out on their driveway in front of their house and pray a blessing of God on that household. One, that God bless them. Number two, that God save them if they're not saved. Amen. And then I'm going to ask you, here's, here's the going part. You're going to go out there and pray. Here's the other part of it. I, got, I made up a little door hanger. It looks pretty good, I think. Made up a little door hanger. And all I'm going to ask you, if you're done praying, is to walk up to the door, not even engage anybody, just put the door hanger on the door, and here's what the door hanger says. We love our community, and we're praying for our community. That's all it says. And on the back side, it gives information how they can send a prayer request to the church. If they want something specifically to be prayed for, invites them to our service times, you know what they are. So we're going to do that come October. That's what we're going to be doing. I hope that you'll engage, because listen, together, in cooperation, we can see God do some amazing things through that. And I have no doubt he'll do it. Amen? So let me ask you a question. Let me end where I began. Does our community see our church as a loving church? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.